0: folks we're cutting our cold open that we originally had uh, recorded earlier in the week because uh, it became a little irrelevant based on some of the uh, things that we talked about in our Wednesday Twitter live show that we had done where we talked about the regional rankings Uh, specifically uh, our original cold opening was about me going to Cortica not gonna happen and for more details like I said go watch that Twitter live show from Wednesday evening but uh yeah, you know, we're going to start the show here. Some sad news coming up, so be ready for that. But crunch time coming up as well here on season 15 of In the Huddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we have uh, two more things we don't want to talk about here, uh, specifically deaths of players uh, in Division Three, And, you know, for a division that's got 24,000, 25,000 student athletes in it, uh, for uh, football that is, it seems like we are enduring our share of losses well beyond what we should be uh, this year. Uh, first off, uh, Grinnell is grieving Davis Cooper, an 18-year-old football player uh, who uh, apparently was hit uh, by a truck, uh, God help me for that one, I, I can't even imagine uh, what you know that the family and everybody else is going to run that one, and prayers and thoughts uh, to the football family, his, uh, his you know, real family out there, and everybody else's friends, that's horrible, horrible, but again uh, to the Grinnell community our condolences there and then on Sunday night we learned that Farham College also had uh, a devastating event in which uh, Will Patterson uh, was killed in a fatal car crash in Lee County, North Carolina uh, he was also a freshman uh, this time at Ferrum, played quarterback for the team uh, just Jeez. devastating news I mean I, we've seen yeah. how many different teams have to deal with this over the last couple of years uh, you know, and then on the flip side, you see stories like Coach Dean Paul, his uh, wife going through her second mm-hmm. uh, treatment, uh, I guess chemo, etc., and players uh, shave their head in solidarity uh, with her. It's you know all the bad. You end up with some good coming out of it, like what we saw with Chris Ardito when his dad passed away. Muhlenberg coming up to you know, the team being with him at least for an hour there to remind him that he has a family and to get back soon. And I know uh, that meant a lot to him. Uh, it meant a lot to Coach Paul, that uh, his uh, you know players at Ohio Northern did what they did in solidarity. And I know I saw a lot of coaches and friends out there uh, that were acknowledging the tweets about the uh, deaths that we had uh, put up along the way here just just 2022 what is going on here uh for as exciting and wild and wacky as it's been it's been wacky for other reasons too so uh you know again hang in there everybody uh, let's uh, go to your 30,000 foot view dear i ask you to after that uh but you know week uh, 10 in the books no huge upsets which is kind of an upset in and of itself because we kind of need some of these upsets to clear out what will be some real disappointment on Selection Sunday when it comes to Pool C. Although some upsets could actually steal some bubble spots for some teams out there, JB. And so where are we going here? What, what is going to happen here after Week 10?
1: Yeah, I guess the big question is whether or not we are going to see, uh, and I know that they're Models out there that say that there could be 44 different teams still, you know, possibly having a chance to win an AQ. I feel like the usual suspects have won the AQs as of now. And on Saturday, we're going to see the usual suspects probably win the AQs that we might have expected. The big question will ultimately end up being the bracket, some of these other postseason bowl games, who gets selected. And ultimately, every year, no matter what, whether it's the the NCAA tournament the bowl games there's always going to be a team or two that gets left out and they're going to have a legit gripe as far as that goes but this past weekend we saw a lot of great performances a lot of um, you know teams clinching they're they're punching their ticket we saw some teams getting their ticket punched even without not even having to play and just lost a few losses kind of tripped things up and hey so so be it that's But that's how it goes sometimes, and um, it'll be, I think, another 13 games, I think nine of of which are winner-take-all types of scenarios. The other four are going to be potential winner-take-all, but it'll depend on some other games that are going on in their conference. So we kind of see how the things are lining up, but will things blow up in Week 11? And, oh, yeah, there's that game in New York City at Yankee Stadium that could totally – change the entire bracket depending on who wins it and who gets seated where hold on to your hats folks it's going to be a crazy weekend of d3 football
0: yeah this episode we will not talk so much about pool c because we want to see where these regional rankings fall honestly on wednesday we have our premonitions you've seen our twitter activity uh the tweets uh, i put out yesterday tell you where i think region two falls for now and where we think pool c falls in terms of at least the sort of locks out there, which essentially were UWL and the MIAC, uh loser uh, in terms of the championship game. Uh, both those are basically locks. If UWP wins, Platteville uh, wins on Saturday, then add Hardin-Simmons to the locks as well at that point. And then you gotta look at a bunch of things like the MIAA runner-up. Uh, if it's Albion, uh, you got a chance there. Utica, Johns Hopkins, Kings, uh, Bridgewater who else we got out there uh, Birmingham Southern could lay claim uh, to some uh, thought John Carroll as well for two lost teams out there uh, and there are others I'm just uh, not even coming up with right now on the fly but you get the point I
1: think I think I think we're I think we're overanalyzing it a bit I think we pretty much know who but they're this weekend may change things up I still feel like Wheaton. Wheaton's yeah. a
0: lock too by the way as far as I'm concerned as long yeah. as they win Saturday yeah
1: I think I think there's really only one or two spots that are open for grabs to be honest and it'll also depend I think the fact that we have a pretty solid group in the sort of south central part of the U.S. you got Huntington, Trinity, UMHB you might as well slide Harden Simmons in there you get a little pod of four teams that could come together. Birmingham Southern with two losses is probably not going to get in like they did last year, unfortunately, even though their resume is very solid. And then, yeah, in the Midwest, they're going to pick Wheaton. Uh, it's just, I think it's 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 sort of a de facto thing. They're going to pick UWL, assuming that they finish uh, as the WIAC runner-up and, and something doesn't crazy happen with the, with the Warhawks one more time. So there's really only two spots up for grabs, in my opinion. Hopkins' chance, normally in any year, we'd say the runner-up to the centennial with a ranking as high as theirs is a a slam dunk. But for some weird reason, with all the undefeated teams in Region 2 this year, there's not enough room at the table left. And I think Region 2 is going to get screwed at the end of the day. We'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong.
0: I hope you're wrong as well. Uh, One uh, note. Huntington, it can't be uh, a road uh, drive uh, scenario for any uh, team out there. So uh, you they will fly no matter what, I believe. I, I tried to find a radius around them, and the radius doesn't really p- uh, work it with any teams that we project to be in the playoffs. Yeah, so. San
1: Antonio is not that far from from 800 Alabama, miles.
0: 800 miles uh, apparently uh, for uh, the map software that's out there. So they, they will fly no matter what. And I, my premonition, if, if you really want to know, or I was talking to Brian Yanselson uh, yesterday about this very uh, issue, Sunday night that is at this point, uh, I believe that Huntingdon probably goes to Mary Harden baylor and Hardin-Simmons, if they are selected, goes to Trinity. And then if both Trinity and Mary Harden baylor win, Mary Harden baylor goes to Trinity because they have a loss and trinity's got a very good resume right now that wheaton win, so there you go and if that happens yeah. if flights aren't too ridiculous i'd love to go to trinity to see that game in person in week two which is right after thanksgiving don't forget so that's the problem but we'll see what we can do if i can get down there somehow some way yes that's what it is hey months. uh <laughs> yep we, We've got a lot of things we could talk about here but again we've got shows all week long where we'll do that i've got things in my hand called a script which is for this thing called crunch time for week 10 of the 2022 division three college football season <laughs> Can't wait to see what happens in Week 11 when you've run out of fingers uh, there, my friend. But anyway, let's go to Region 1, and it's Salve Regina versus Endicott in the CCC. Second quarter, 11:59 left in that quarter. Clayton Marenghi gets a 29-yard touchdown run. The quarterback gets that score up to 14-3 in favor of Endicott just before halftime. Look at this. Look to return.
1: Knox hoping to get some good hang time on this one. And does just that, and it's a great punt. And the ball c- comes out, his touch, and it's into the end zone, touchdown, Endicott. <laughs> There's one way to score before the half. 28 to
0: three, Endicott, and then 7:28 left, third quarters. Colin Miropolis getting the uh, fumble recovery. As Stack uh, had fumbled it in the end zone there. 35 to three, Endicott wins the CCC title by the score 42 to 10. Their defense had two fumble recoveries for touchdown, four sacks, seven tackles for loss, two interceptions. Anthony Caggianelli gets 17 rushes for 79 yards and one rushing touchdown. Congratulations to Endicott. Delaware Valley looked to win the MAC against FDU Florham. Four minutes into the game, here's Louis Berrios IV with a 49-yard touchdown run by the quarterback. He gives his team a 6-0 lead because, hey, they missed an extra point because that's what seems to happen every week with Delaware Valley. they got to work on the kicking game there. Six minutes later, though, Sear Morgan gets a 29-yard touchdown pass from Barrios to make it 14-0 after the two-point conversion pass was good. Second quarter, after your was heard from here, Ryan Thomas gets a 9-yard touchdown run with 1240 left in that second. 14-7 now is the lead by Delaware Valley, but... 21 seconds later
1: just to get it off Berrios under pressure pass is thrown caught by Dez Austin and Austin in front of the back
0: touchdown one play 69 yards Berrios to Dez Austin 21 to 7 Dalval and then for good measure eight minutes later Tamir Barksdale gets an 85 yard touchdown pass from Louis Berrios the fourth 28 to 7 he is a find for Del Valle, that is for sure, as they win the MAC with a final score of 42 7. Berrios, 349 total yards, four passing, two rushing touchdowns. Michael Nobile, seven tackles, that includes three sacks. Congratulations, Del Valle, on the MAC title. Now, let's talk about Gallaudet at Alfred State. The final, 36 22 in favor of Gallaudet. Brandon Washington. 23 rushes, 228 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Justin Horvath, 202 total yards for Alfred State, including one passing and one rushing touchdown and two interceptions on the day. But congratulations to Gallaudet. A little bit of a theme there as the first three games all awarded pool A Bids. But the next game did not as Springfield has to wait for the Catholic game in Week 11. But here's a tough one they had to play against MIT. Five minutes into the game, Dante Vasquez gets a 46 yard touchdown run for Springfield to give his team a 7 0 lead early in the game. Then, two and a half minutes later, Jonathan Berger for MIT gets his nine yard touchdown pass from Chase Harmon. That ties things up at seven apiece. And Springfield would add two field goals on either side of the first quarter break, making it 13 7. But MIT takes the lead with 320 left in the first half as Dennis Gastel gets a 52-yard touchdown pass from Chase Harmon. That makes the halftime score 14-13 in favor of MIT. Let's fast forward to five seconds into the fourth quarter. Christian Hutrich gets this 46-yard field goal to give his team a 16-14 lead. Now, Chase Harmon and MIT have chances. First and goal here at the Springfield 8, but he is intercepted by Joe Morrer with 751 left in the fourth quarter keep going to the end of the fourth quarter 38 seconds left here's a field goal attempt by nick Bullhoff to try to win and it is no good wide right and that would do it two chances for mit they fail on both chances springfield holds on 16 14. again mit led 14 13 at the half chase Harmon, 22 for 33 257 yards, two passing touchdowns, two interceptions though. Kristen Hucher with that game-winning 46-yard field goal. tell you, JB, some exciting stuff there in Region 1, and that Catholic Springfield game could go either way, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got a power run game versus a pass game, and it'll probably come down to some defensive plays. But elsewhere in Region 1, not a whole lot of surprises. Once again, though, Kings flying under the radar. They're 8-1. They'll probably be in the regional rankings on Wednesday. Interesting sort of development there, because their strength of schedule should be in the ballpark. Everything's kind of shaping up in a a certain way there. But anyway, some of the other games, uh, we had a close call with uh, WPI and Coast Guard going to a double OT. The engineers outlast. the. The Bears Stevenson wins. They're going to probably be regionally ranked also at seven two. They have a very high strength of schedule. Catholic wins, setting up the winner take all New Mac title game. Anna Maria having an up and down year, but wins a game here, thirty six to twenty two. Plymouth State staying alive in the Mass CAC race. They'll have a winner take all game against Mass Dartmouth on Saturday. And then in the NESCAC, no real surprises. Maybe Amherst kind of turning things around, beating Bowdoin by three is interesting. And Ultimately, tip your calf to Trinity, my home state uh, Bantams with the NESCAC championship. But sadly, they will not be joining us for the, uh, the playoffs. They'll just take their title and, and hang out in Hartford. And then elsewhere in the Battle of New England, the Western side beats the university 33 to nothing. And then the game that we heard on ATM, Keystone gets a 21 to 20 win on Senior Day in front of Pat Coleman out there in Lapoom, Pennsylvania.
0: Indeed. Congratulations to Keystone on their first ever senior day with a win. Let's go to Region 2, Susquehanna at Muhlenberg, and Susquehanna could win the Centennial with a win here, but just before halftime, they were up 7-3. Muhlenberg's Timothy Buta gets a 34-yard touchdown pass from Joe Petty. That makes the halftime score 9-7 in favor of Muhlenberg. Third quarter, 10-51 left. Kyle House gets a five-yard touchdown run for Susquehanna. Gives his team the lead back 14-9, but watch what happens now. Two minutes later, Ethan Brader from Muhlenberg gets a 19-yard touchdown run, 17-14 Muhlenberg. Then five minutes left in the third quarter. Joe Repetti gets a three-yard touchdown run. Muhlenberg starting to run away with this. It's 24-14 Mules. We go to the fourth quarter, two minutes into it. Michael Ruse says, not so fast, my friends, with a one-yard touchdown run. 24-21, Muhlenberg leading. Ten minutes later, about 3.15 left. It's Hunter Coulter getting a one-yard touchdown run for Susquehanna, 28-24. And here's the last chance for Muhlenberg, fourth and sixth from Muhlenberg, 29. Joe Rapetti is incomplete to Michael Feaster, and that would do it. Susquehanna wins the Centennial Conference automatic qualifier 28-24. Muhlenberg did lead 9-7 at the half. Joe Rapetti, 280 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown. Hunter Coulter, two rushing touchdowns for Muhlenberg. So Muhlenberg had some good stats, but unfortunately for them, they just couldn't pull it out as Susquehanna was resilient. Let's talk about Johns Hopkins at Dickinson. This was an interesting game in terms of how it played out early. Ten minutes into the game, Deontay Ball gets a 20-yard touchdown run for Dickinson to give his team a 7-0 lead. They'd add a field goal two minutes later, but then finally Johns Hopkins, with 1:22 left, has a Danny Wolfe 29-yard touchdown run to make it 10-7 in favor of Dickinson. Dickinson, though, would add a field goal. They'd lead 13-7 at halftime. Third quarter, 6:33 left. Josh Pulsey gets an 8-yard touchdown run, a touchdown pass, excuse me, from Ryan Stevens gives Hopkins the 14-13 lead. Then with 2.33 left in the third quarter, it's Spencer Ugla with a 12-yard touchdown run to make it 21-13 in favor of Hopkins. We go to the fourth quarter, 43 seconds into it, Quinn Revere gets a 34-yard touchdown pass for Ryan Stevens, 28-13. Now for Johns Hopkins, final score, 35-13 in favor of Johns Hopkins Blue Jays. Ryan Stevens, 15 for 25, 172 yards, 3 passing touchdowns. Deontay Ball for Dickinson, 22 rushes, 93 yards, 1 rushing touchdown. Here's one that I called uh, ultimately, and it ended up giving somebody a championship, or at least the automatic qualifier, as a result. It's Case Western Reserve at Westminster. One minute left in the first quarter. Here's Braden Timmons with a 13-yard touchdown run to make it 7-3 in favor of Westminster. Then eight seconds into the second quarter, Corte Williams gets a 33-yard pick six. Now 14-3 out of nowhere. Westminster gets 14 quick points, but that's all the points they would get. They'd have to hold on to this game, so here we go. Third quarter, nine fifteen left. Case Western Reserve's Ian Kipp gets a two-yard touchdown run. It's 14-10. Their coming back is Case Western Reserve. Joseph Rhodes would add a field goal later for Case to make it 14-13 with 3.47 left in the fourth. But here's a big tackle here, second and 10 at the Westminster 34. And you can see Alex Fromberg tackled by Ian Barr. If he didn't get that tackle, he would have had a first down, Maybe the field goal a lot shorter. Here is the field goal. Ball is down. The kick is up. The kick is no so good. It's wide left, and the Titans will hold with a home win. Over Case, all you gotta do is take care of the ball for 33 seconds, (laughs) and you can see that field goal attempt is no good from 47 yards out. And it is Westminster winning against Case Western Reserve, giving Carnegie Mellon at least a share of the title in the pack. 14 to 13 was Westminster's score. Braden Timmons, one rushing touchdown, two and a half sacks, uh, seven tackles. He's all over the place on this field. And Drew Saxton, 11 for 22, 95 yards and an interception. Not exactly the day you want to see from uh, Drew Saxton, but he'll have one more game in the Academic Bowl versus Carnegie Mellon on Saturday. Braden Timmons, I I bet you we're going to see a little bit about him later on in this show. I I don't know. We'll see what happens here. Maybe. Uh, Ithaca at Union. Could Ithaca get the Liberty League title five minutes into the first quarter A.J. Wingfield gets a five yard touchdown run for Ithaca to make it seven to zero early then with 17 seconds left in the first quarter it's I.K. Arab hurtling for a touchdown here it's a, technically a 16 yard touchdown pass from Donovan Piccati seven to seven is your score the teams would trade touchdowns midway through the second quarter and make it 14 apiece but in the second quarter 310 left. It's Garrett Cafaro getting a 23-yard touchdown pass from Donovan Picatty. 21-14 is now the score for Union. We'll go to the third quarter. 11:07 7 left in that third. Sam Klein from A.J. Winfield. He gets a 12-yard touchdown pass to tie the game 21 apiece. Now, it looks like Union's going in to score at least a field goal, if not a touchdown on this play here. Donovan Picatty is stripped of the ball by Michael Rumis, and it makes... A, a, A surefire scoring opportunity turn around. It would take a little while, though, for Ithaca to score again, but they do with 32 seconds left in the third quarter. Connor Hayes with a 22-yard touchdown run. Ithaca now leads 28-21. Then here's that Nicholas Baja Monday 35-yard field goal, 31-21 in favor of Ithaca with 11-25 left. We have to go all the way to 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter. I.K. Ereborg gets this 10-yard touchdown pass from Picati, 31-28. You know what happens here, the onside kick, but it is no good for Union. Ithaca is able to hold on and win this game 31-28. They win the Liberty League automatic qualifier and outright, actually, uh, because they are undefeated and finished the Liberty League undefeated. Jake Williams from Ithaca, 21 rushes, 99 yards, one rushing touchdown. Donovan Picati for Union, 328 total yards, three passing, one rushing touchdowns. He told me uh, Saturday night he takes full accountability for the loss. That was a team loss, and Donovan played his butt off in that game. So you know what? Uh he's gonna be one to watch so next season, that's for darn sure. Let's talk about the NJ. Christopher Newport can't solve their mess until they play against Salisbury in week eleven, but they still had to beat or play uh college of New Jersey. And be careful in a game like this. Well, let's see what happens as Christopher Newport went up 17 to zero as Trey Lancaster gets his 23-yard touchdown pass from Matt Tzierski, and you know it, it, they look like they're just running through this game. But wait a minute, we'll go to the second half as Jason Schmidt gets a 55-yard touchdown run for TCNJ. It's 17 to seven now. Uh, well, hey, Christopher Newport responds. Eight minutes left in the third. It's Gunner White with a 15-yard touchdown run and a 24-7 lead in favor of Christopher Newport. Two minutes later though, Jason Schmidt again. This time a 14-yard touchdown pass from Trevor Bob makes it 24-14. And then with one second left in the third quarter, Jake McCown gets a 15-yard touchdown pass from Trevor Bob here. That makes it 24-21, still Christopher Newport's lead. We're gonna fast forward to two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Here's Trevor Bob getting intercepted by Josh Uvidich at the uh, CNU 40-yard line, and that would do it. It was a 24-21 win for Christopher Newport. Dzerzki, 12 for 16, 202 yards uh, and two passing touchdowns. He's going to need more of that against Salisbury, that's for sure. TCNJ's defense, eight sacks, 13 tackles for loss. Is that a misprint? Teams combined for 502 (laughs) punt yards in this game, which is an interesting stat in and of itself. Region 2 in a nutshell was uh, a lot of clinching going on. Not necessarily on the field, as you pointed out earlier on. And then some games that, uh, you know, I think some teams are looking past week 10 because there wasn't anything decisive for them. But still, your seeding matters, folks. You've got to win these games. Who else we got in uh, region two?
1: Well, before we jump from this slide, I want to tell the fans in certain parts of the country that think their fifth or sixth place team in their conference could beat the top ranked team in other regions and all this kind of thing. Sometimes conference games bring teams closer together. I mean, normally Hopkins, you know, pulls away from most teams. I mean, Dickinson's played them a lot, though, and so they kind of have that understanding. Same thing, susquehanna muhlenberg even though Muhlenberg's a five-win team, I I hate the whole thing like, oh, yeah, if we played in this so-and-so conference, we'd be easily number one ranked. Cut that out. You, you gain a lot of familiarity playing against the same teams year after year after year after year. So whether you have nine wins or three wins, it's going to be close no matter what, especially late. But elsewhere, you know, we had Cortland winning big. Your Sinus, I think they might have set some records in the 65-2 win over Juniana, which is pretty crazy. I listened to our friend Eric Wren on the mic. Uh, as RPI won. 10-6. to 6. They're in the ECAC bowl bid situation, but they've got a big game on Saturday against some team that Frank might have certain connections to. We'll see what happens. Rochester wins over Hartwick. Geneva wins big. Hobart wins big. They had like two pick sixes and a scoop and score in that one on defense. It was kind of a, a route from day one. Utica, Kind of making a statement, Frank. Maybe they, they, they didn't take too kindly to what we had to say about it, about the win from the other day. So they just dropped the hammer on the Saxons, 65 to 16. Salisbury beats Kane to set up that winner take all in Jack final. McDaniel edges Gettysburg. We had an OT game with the Gators outlasting the bison. Montclair comes up a little short, well, about twenty points short to Rowan, who's got a game on Friday night. When you're in town, Frank, you never know. Um, Grove City comes up short against Washington Jefferson, and that game's a little more <coughs> lopsided than I thought, Frank. To be to be honest, I thought it'd be a little bit closer there. Waynesburg St. Vincent, fifty-three to sixteen, and then Morrisville. They they were three to three with Brockport there for a while, but the Golden Eagles made some plays there at the end and kind of put themselves back into the ecac bid conversation we weren't quite sure what was going on with the golden eagles and then of course ian barr with the lovely bar bar chili shot pretty amazing i know you've had it frank what do you got to say
0: here's what i have to say first off uh we have uh, the game you were talking about dutchman shoes game on saturday coming up week 11. so rpi union Mm -hmm. coming up very soon but uh the chili indeed i i i warned ian if i didn't have something uh, i needed to do on saturday night i was coming down there beating them up for the uh, leftovers because i know she made (laughs) enough for leftovers i know barb's style she large batches i I might have
1: to i might have to ask i might have to get the small batch um recipe because i do i do make chili sometimes and i think i might have to give barbs a whirl and see what my family thinks
0: even Scott Benzel sent me a picture of it uh, that night, the coach, and uh, it's like, it Barb Chilli hits the spot, I'm like, you guys all suck. Anyway, let's go to Region 3, and uh, look at this game. Uh, a little bit controversy in this game, uh, for sure. We'll look at one of the plays that was a little controversial coming up here as Mary Harden Baylor visited Howard Payne. Again, uh, they could lock the ASC title uh, in this game if they won Mary Harden Baylor. First, uh, with no time left in the first quarter, Howard Payne's Torrin Bradley gets a 5-yard touchdown run to make it a 10-7 game uh, in favor of Howard Payne. They would uh, up that lead with 7.33 left in the second quarter as Harrison Pastilnik gets an 18-yard field goal. So now 13-7 Howard Payne. But just before halftime, Jerry Day gets a 17-yard touchdown pass from Kyle King. It's 14-13 Mary Harden-Baylor at halftime. The teams that trade field goals in the third quarter, then with 10.41 left in the fourth, Alfonso Thomas gets this one yard touchdown run to give UMHB a 24-16 lead. We go down to 31 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Take a look at this. We'll take a look at it more later on, actually, as Jordan Carroll caps off a 15-play, six-minute drive with this six-yard touchdown pass from Landon McKinney, 24-piece, you may think interception, maybe you're thinking right, we'll talk about it later, but it's 24-24 in the books here. But with that much time left, UMHB has time to go down the field. First, the first and 10 from their own 25 is the 24-yard gain by Kyle King rushing up the middle to the 49-yard line, timeout, 21 seconds left. Then, Kyle King gets a pass complete short to the right side and K.J. Miller for two yards to the 49-yard line of Howard Payne, 12 seconds left. Uh, Ultimately, they get another 9-yard completion. It's down to the 40, and then one more 13-yard completion right here to uh, Jamal Hamilton, both of those passes, to the 27-yard line. Just mere seconds left. Anthony Avila, 44-yard field goal. True to the crew, as they say. Riley, just stealing it for a second. Uh, I'll pay you later. Uh, And it is good, and it is over. Mary Harden-Baylor wins the ASC. Uh, at least the uh, aq from it 27 24. kyle king 18 for 29 195 yards two passing touchdowns and an interception landon mckinney from howard Payne, 23 for 38 201 yards one passing touchdown and two interceptions on the day washington and lee at bridgewater virginia and we're going to start this one in the second quarter 417 left it's Kerry Crutcher getting a one-yard touchdown run to start the scoring. It was six to zero in favor of WNL. Second quarter, 19 seconds left. Though Dylan McLaughlin gets a 42-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Wood. Six to six is our score as extra points seem to be running amok in this game. Third quarter, 3:04 left. Bridgewater gets another touchdown. This one from Freddie Watkins catching a nine-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Wood to make it 13 to six in favor of Bridgewater. Here's the last chance for WNL with one minute left. This fourth and 11 play is incomplete as Peter Davin couldn't get the pass completed to Andrew Bland and that would do it. Bridgewater stays alive in Pool C, 13-6, to six, or at least for possible Pool C. Uh, Jalen Wood, 12-16, for 16, 115 yards, two passing touchdowns. And Eli Hildebrandt from Washington Lee has 21 rushes for 76 yards. Finally, Huntington looking to clinch against North Carolina Wesleyan. Cal George with the 49-yard touchdown pass from Landon Cotney makes it 14-7 in favor of Huntington. The halftime score would be 14-10 Huntington. In the third quarter, 2.50 left. Landon Cotney uses his legs here with a 13-yard touchdown run of his own. 21-10 is the lead now for Huntington. And then in the fourth quarter with nine minutes left, here's a pick six by Miller Park. 49 yards, he rumbles that uh, interception to the end zone for a 34-10 score. Final, Huntington clinches 34-17. Landon Cotney, 263 total yards, three passing, one rushing touchdowns. Huntington's defense had three interceptions, two sacks, 11 tackles for loss, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery, and a partridge in a pear tree. Reaching three scores from you, sir. Go ahead.
1: Come on, Frank.
0: It's getting there. (laughs) Yeah, not a ton of surprises here, but a little
1: bird told me that part of the issue with UMHB's struggles on Saturday had to do with about a dozen players either out or trying to play with the flu. It hit Texas A&M too. Maybe there's something just kind of going around that part of Texas. Didn't seem to affect uh, the Tigers out in San Antonio, however, because they took care of business. They win the SAA effectively, their pool A bid. Harden Simmons... Beats Austin, but maybe not by as much as we normally would think. Randolph Macon wins big. And if you jump down a little bit, you see Hamden Sydney losing to Shenandoah, which effectively gives Randolph Macon the pool A in the ODAC. So there you have it. Bellhaven staying in the pool C bubble with a win. They're eight and one. Great season for them in the in the USA South. Elsewhere, Texas Lutheran outs last, Southwestern. Birmingham Southern had a their running back had a big game with like 13 carries for something like 300 yards and a bunch of touchdowns. You might have heard about that on ATN on Monday. ETBU outlasts Sul Ross State. Barry wins big. Greensboro falls to Methodist and Hendricks at the War Memorial there in Arkansas. I think under the lights in a defensive battle wins six nothing.
0: Let's go to uh, regions four through six, and here's a game that I said would be something like 50 to 10 or something like that. Boy, was I wrong! I still get the win for it, as do you. But I think we're a little bit off on how this one played out here. John Carroll at Mount Union, with uh, Mount Union uh, may be able to clinch. We'll see what happens with these two games that we're going to talk about in a row here. First off. One minute left in the second quarter. Tyler Mintz gets a 12-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins for John Carroll to tie up the game 14 apiece. That was our halftime score. We were tied at 14. Five minutes into the third quarter, Edwin Reed from Mount Union gets a 10-yard touchdown pass from Braxton Plunk, name we haven't really mentioned much this season, but he's been just doing what he does, passing for a lot of touchdowns this season. 21-14 lead for Mount Union. Then with 3:09 left in the third quarter, it's Wayne Ruby Jr. the 16-yard touchdown pass from Braxton Plunk makes it 27-14 in favor of Mount Union. They continue here as Jaden Manley gets an 80-yard touchdown pass from Braxton Plunk. That's 11:28 left in the fourth quarter. Scores 34-14. We're done. We're over. Yeah, you know, turn out the lights or not. Two minutes later, Tadas Tadarunas gets a 24-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins to give John Carroll a chance here, 34-21 at that point. Then with 19 seconds left in the fourth, Brennan Few gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins to make it 34-28. Well, still a chance. You know what comes up next as Yanni Volas tries the onside kick, and it's no good. Union is fine here at the end with the win, But a lot closer than people had assumed, including us, 34-28 in favor of the Purple Raiders. DeAndre Parker, 26 rushes, 85 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Joe Collins, 17 for 32, 215 yards, and four passing touchdowns. Got to give him credit for that performance in that big game. So Mount Union would have clinched if Heidelberg beat Baldwin Wallace. Let's see what happens here as, first off, second quarter, five minutes into it, Glenn Pearson from Heidelberg gets a 7-yard touchdown pass from Drew Sims to make it 10-0 in favor of Heidelberg. Eventually 13-0 at halftime, Heidelberg. We'll go to the fourth quarter, 13-56 left. Baldwin Wallace's Elijah Arnett gets a 4-yard touchdown pass from Reese Wehmer. It's 13-7, Heidelberg leading now. Midway through the fourth, it's uh, Dean Sears kicking a 37-yard field goal, but with 20 seconds left to tie, it's one more attempt from 35 yards out, and it's good. 13-13 is our score. We are going to overtime. Heidelberg would start. Sims takes the snap, handoff. Yearby into the end zone. Touchdown, Heidelberg. Montavious Yearby. As Montavious Yearby gets a three-yard touchdown run to make it 20-13. Baldwin Wallace would get a chance to respond here, and Tim Conwell gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from Joey Marusic to make it. 20-19 to 19 Heidelberg leading, so Baldwin-Wallace could tire, or go for the win. They went for the win here. They went for two. So prepare for a pass. Marisek fakes the
1: handoff, slings it into the end zone, wide open. They win the ball game. Baldwin-Wallace on the last play of the game.
0: The final score, 21-20 Baldwin-Wallace in overtime. Heidelberg had led 13-0 at the half. Montavious Yearby, 40 rushes. 219 yards, one rushing touchdown, and the losing effort in this game. Jari Marusic, though, that passing touchdown and an interception this game for Baldwin Wallace. So it's still alive in the OAC as Mount Union will face Baldwin Wallace in week 11. Let's go to the wackiness known as the WIAC. First off, River Falls at lacrosse. The teams were tied at 7 of the first half. They can see this play, this 4th and 6th play, and the punt goes awry here as ultimately it's a touchdown for lacrosse. 24-7 uh, to seven would become the ultimate score, the lead for lacrosse in this game. But, you know, again, River Falls finds a way back just like they tried to with Whitewater a week earlier. We we'll go to the 4th quarter, 6.46 left. Caleb Laha gets a 5-yard touchdown run makes it 24-14. That's the 10-point deficit for River Falls at that point. Then we go to 12 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It's Justin Sherbro getting the th- 23-yard field goal here to make it 24-17. He would try the onside kick, and it was recovered by River Falls as Andy Grebner gets it, so they have a chance here. First off, they get 14 yards, and this pass here from Schweiger to Luke Cush, and then they try this pass from the 39-yard line It's incomplete, and boy, lacrosse holds on in this game. That onside kick almost was a disaster for them. 24-17 lacrosse wins. Caleb Blaha, 339 total yards, one rushing touchdown, three interceptions for River Falls. Uh, Kaiser Heltebrand from UWL, 162 total yards, and one passing touchdown. Whitewater versus Stout. Uh, The elements may play some role here uh, in terms of keeping scores down, or at least this one. 17 seconds left, first quarter. stouts Levi Hammer gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from Sean Borgarding to make it 7-3 stout leading. Then in the second quarter, 8:50 left in the second, Tommy Coates with a five-yard touchdown pass from Evan Lewandowski makes it 10-7 at Whitewater. Those are the only two touchdowns scored in the game. Jeffrey Isatala McGuire added two fourth-quarter field goals for a 16-7 lead. And then we'll see what happens at the end of the game here as Borgarding is intercepted by Luke Nelson to make it a final 16-7 in favor of Whitewater. Evan Lewandowski, 197 total yards, one passing touchdown. Sean Borgating from Stout, 27 for 40, 229 yards, one passing touchdown, and an interception. Again, that is not the final yet, as Whitewater has not clinched the WEAC. Wheaton versus Wash U for a big Pool C implication game here. And Wash U was down 21-7 early, but this touchdown tied them midway through the second quarter as Lamphere gets a 77-yard touchdown pass from Matt Rush for a 21-21 score. Six minutes later, it's going to be Giovanni Weeks with a 3-yard touchdown run to make it 28-21 Wheaton. And then in the third quarter, Ben Bonga adds on to it for Wheaton with a 17-yard touchdown pass from Will Bowers. It's 35-21 Wheaton, but Wash U not done still. 14-14 left fourth quarter, Kenneth Hamilton gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it 35-28, still Wheaton's lead. Then three minutes later, Tyler Gaudier gets a 42-yard touchdown from Will Bowers again, this time a 42-28 score is the result of it. But with 111 left in the fourth quarter Hamilton gets another touchdown uh, this time a 23-yard pass from Clark Stevens to make it 42 35 hey another onside kick why not it's Chris Fartanian trying it here and it's not uh, recovered by Wash U Wheaton does recover it and it is over Wheaton holds on 42 35 a very game Washington U team in this game trying to come back about three separate times Giovanni Weeks from Wheaton, 25 rushes, 145 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Will Bowers from Wheaton, also 354 total yards, three passing touchdowns. Finally, Bethel versus Augsburg for their division title. Don't ask me how this works and why the MIAC does it the way they do it because it's kind of ridiculous uh, that they base it only on divisional games, not the entire conference games. They were the win-loss records, but anyway... I digress as we were tied 14 14 at halftime. Five minutes into the third quarter, Bryce Kunkel gets a 16 yard touchdown run to give Bethel a 21 14 lead. 4.06 left in the third quarter, Dominic Smith gets an 8 yard touchdown pass from Cade Sheehan to make it 21 apiece. Augsburg trying hard here to get into the Mayak title game, he said. Third quarter, 37 seconds left. It's Bryce Kunkel again, this time a 4 yard touchdown run for Bethel. 28-21 28-21 as Jaron Rossi was not in this game. So it's important here that they uh, get some kind of offensive flow before the championship game if they win this game. But Augsburg says hold on, 31 seconds left fourth quarter.
1: Snap goes to Sheehan. Sheehan out of the pocket, running to the left side, trying to get the pylon, ducks a defender, he's into the end zone, touchdown Augie! They
0: decide to go for two and the likely win in this game Smith alone to the right, snap goes to Sheehan, looking that way, going to throw it to Smith, it's intercepted, and racing back the
1: other way, trying to get two points for the Royals is Devin Williams, and he is going to do just that.
0: So Bethel leads 30-27, here's another onside kickoff attempt, and it is recovered by Bethel, and that means Bethel will advance to the Maya Championship against St. John's, 30 27 bryce kunkle 18 brushes 109 yards two rushing touchdowns kate sheehan 338 to total yards two passing two rushing touchdowns and an interception regions four through six a lot of excitement not really f- a lot of complete answers though that's for sure in the games we talked about here in fact none of these teams clinched that we uh, went through uh with video on but there are some teams that did clinch and he will tell us about some of them right here
1: yeah, well, first off, North Central with the CCIW will clinch with the 68-3 throttling of Illinois Wesleyan. St. John's, as, as you already said, punch it, stick it to the MIAC championship game. Linfield wins the NWC in a 65 to nothing shutout of Willamette. Wartburg drops 81 points and somehow could still end up in a three-point tie for their conference championship. Go figure that out, we'll tell you later. Albion stays in control of its MIAA destiny. Trine's probably dropping out of the regional rankings this week with a 21 to 28 loss to Hope. Wabash and DePauw, who both won their games in convincing fashion, will battle for the NCAC title and the Bell trophy game, you know, next, well, this Saturday, so that's a bit that's a big deal in the NCAC. Elsewhere, Alma beats Adrian 30 to 10. They're gonna play Albion next week for that championship in, in their conference. Elsewhere, we see, um, Ingham gets a nice win. They, they, they're, I think, five chance, six wins this season, which they haven't done in a while, so good for them. Mount St. Joe's, who is in the driver's seat in the Heartland, barely gets by Franklin, 27 to 20. I think they still need to play one more game to, to clinch their, their championship, I believe, um, perhaps against rose Holman is kind of a winner-take-all situation, one of several that's gonna be happening on Saturday. Platteville wins over Eau Claire, Chicago wins big. The Midwest Conference is still up for grabs, Frank, so that's gonna come down to week 11 also. Um, Aurora wins big. Uh, They have a chance to win their conference. They have a winner-take-all game uh, coming up, I think, against Concordia on Saturday. Lake Forest wins, there's that weird tiebreaker with the points and the thing. I I don't even wanna go there. Um, Central wins, they have an interesting game coming up on Saturday as well. Let's see here. Elsewhere, Northwestern in Minnesota, how about that? They win the UMAC. Obviously, as we said at the top of the show, with the uh, with the death of the Grinnell player, they, they've decided to postpone the game against Illinois College. Probably the best thing to do under the circumstances. Once again, our condolences go out to them. And uh, I'm not sure if that game will be made up or not, or if it'll be a no contest. Either way, in the grand scheme of things, it kind of doesn't matter given what transpired. But elsewhere, uh, going to talk about the Midwest Conference, ripping Drops us of the unbeaten with a 39-31 win. That's a game that Frank picked correctly. I did not. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Oshkosh with a 45-0 win. Frank, I'm gonna call it here Oshkosh versus Wash U for the Isthmus Bowl. Bank it. That's what I'm that's what I'm that's what I'm saying here. So Carthage beats Augustana. Carol Milliken. We saw Mud Scripps take care of Redlands 42 to nothing setting up a winner-take-all game, I think, against Pomona Pitzer, who also happened to win 43-12 in week 11. So we got Scripps versus Pitzer. The Sixth Street rivalry, I think, is what it's called. And then Chapman, 65-26 over Cal Lutheran. Lots of games in regions four through six. Whew, You need to take a breath there.
0: What, you, you tell me you don't like the quarter's led tiebreaker of the Midwest Conference in conference games? I mean, you don't enjoy that, that tiebreaker? Come on, man! Hey, I don't think Coach Cat
1: enjoys that tiebreaker either. Even even if he was part of the group that may have originally voted for it. But hey, the, at the end of the day, I, I'm going to say that I think that the way things will shake out, Coach Cat and the Foresters will get that pool A through some some form or fashion. You heard it here first, folks.
0: Well, you heard it here in crunch time for Week Ten of the 2022 Division Three College Football Season. JB, let's uh, kind of hustle on here and uh, tell us about your MVPs of the week. And uh, a couple of them, uh, all three of them, actually, I'm not uh, surprised about. Although I got to ask you, how did you determine where to put Braden Timmons here in in the lineup? Because he plays both sides of the ball. So is he defense? Is he offense? What is he?
1: Well, I mean, he did have two and a half sacks, but he also scored a touchdown. He deserved an MVP anyway, so might as well give it to him on the defensive side because how can you not recognize – I mean, I imagine there's some people in Utica who got your face and my face on a dartboard, and they're throwing stuff at us here and there. But anyway, Braden Zanilovic from Utica had – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven – passing touchdowns, brother! Pretty impressive performance. They needed, they kind of needed to do that—a little flex after uh, last weekend. And so Utica still in the pool C bubble with that big win. Uh, they they play Fisher on Saturday, and they'll be expected to win that game. So their chances of getting in are still—they're still there. But with Region 2's kind of issue, I don't know. Worst case scenario, they're a number one seed in the uh, ECAC bowl. But I know they want to go to the tournament. We'll have to wait until Sunday to see what happens there. But who's more automatic than Anthony Avila, man? His team is sick. They're not really 100%. This guy has had more clutch field goals in his career than probably any T3 kicker than I can remember in recent memory in the last couple seasons anyway. guy comes somebody, had somebody had a stat. Hold no on.
0: Somebody had a stat the other day. Said that, it, somebody said that there have been only two game-winning field goals ever in Mary Hardin Baylor history, both of which were Anthony Avila the Harden Simmons uh, yeah. game uh, this what was the 1715 game or whatever it was back when and it was like 15, this 14, game. yeah yeah something like yeah. that and then this game uh, right here so there you go Anthony Vila has made history twice for UMHB
1: yeah and i think he even kicked the winning field goal to give them the win over ETBU in that spring game uh you know last it was year it spring, wasn't a game winner like
0: that but yeah you're right after a missing winner, a bunch yeah
1: yeah it was a difference maker so this guy has ice in his veins making kicks left and right so you know we've only got him around i think for a little while longer here same thing with thimmons we gotta we gotta recognize him those are some great performances
0: indeed so let's uh, take a look at while we're on this game or discussing uh mary Harden baylor Let's look at the play here, and again, why wasn't this an interception? So, we look at this as a teaching moment more than anything else because a lot of people don't understand what this whole simultaneous possession thing is or isn't. And you're going to see that the defensive back from Mary Harn-Baylor has position on this play and has his hands around the ball first and normally that means that you can't have simultaneous possession because it's not simultaneous in terms of when the possession is being created. Normally the notion is simultaneous possession goes to the offense and so this would be a touchdown if there was such a thing. But the person that's got his hands around the ball first is the defender. The other part of the rule and we'll look at the rule in a second here as we discuss this also indicates that when you have two players mid-air that end up with the ball both in their possession, essentially. The person that comes down first is the person that's given possession of the ball. That is in an approved ruling for the NCAA. And you'll see here that the person's foot down first in the end zone is the Mary Harden-Baylor defender. And as such, this, for two different reasons, should have been Mary Harden-Baylor's ball. Yep, that's an INT. But then we saw a photo that made us realize There wasn't mutual possession here until they probably hit the ground when the uh, offensive player from Howard Payne ripped the ball out because, look, he doesn't even have any any ball basically in his arms when they're basically at the ground level at that point where this photo is being taken. So this is a bad call. This was an official who basically was looking at the back of the Howard Payne player that was making the call and instead of consulting with others that may have had a better view on the field in terms of her uh, cohorts or colleagues there, she made the call immediately. And I think everybody else felt she was so definitive with it that they weren't going to be able to overturn it in any way, shape, or form. And so this almost created a situation where Mary Harden Baylor could have lost his game. And thanks to Kyle King's quick play down the field and Anthony Avila, they get the win regardless. but, you know, simultaneous possession is something that I think is a really abused term out there. Uh, and you got to understand that if you get your hands around the ball first, chances are you're the one that should be in possession of the ball, regardless of what happens, unless it's ripped away from you before the players hit the ground or, in this case, touch the end zone. Because once you touch the end zone with a foot, the play is over. One foot's down in the end zone at that point. So... Bad call. Uh, you know, a couple weeks in a row, we've had to go through some bad refing calls here. But this one was pretty clear as well. And uh, you even heard Pat Coleman, yeah. I, I think, agreed with us on around the nation on Monday on that one. Speaking of uh, bad calls, uh, I am uh, down another game to you. It's 101 uh, wins to 95 now. Uh, don't, don't smirk That's that much, man. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> the Astros ain't going to come into play at this pace. Uh, so we'll see what happens yeah. on Friday um do you want to run through them uh, who, who's uh, still alive here what the games look like in terms of uh decisive games coming up for week 11.
1: sure why not let's go through let's go through some of the different scenarios as it were so and we'll go in chronological order as we know them at the moment in the mascak umass dartmouth travels to plymouth state the winner of that game wins the mascak aq in the Mac, Springfield goes to Catholic in DC, also a noon kickoff. Mac title on the line out in Michigan. Albion versus Alma kicks off at one. Wabash and DePauw is a 107 kickoff, probably because of the Montembel pomp and circumstance. The winner of that game gets the NCAC Pool A bid. In the Heartland or the HCAC, rose Holman goes to Mount St. Joe's, 130 kickoff. We've got a couple of two o'clock games with Bethel at St. John's. They have a different thing where Division A hosts one year and Division B hosted next year. Last year Bethel hosted, this year St. John hosted. I uh, don't, I can't understand, but whatever. Uh, should be a great game, one of the best games of the weekend probably. Then the NCC, NACC, Easy for me to say. Concordia Wisconsin goes to Aurora for another two p.m. kickoff. Out west, claremont Mud scripps goes to Pomona-Pitzer at 4. And then hopefully the storm doesn't screw up some other stuff this weekend. But right now, Christopher Newport and Salisbury got flexed from 1 to 5 o'clock. And then in three other conferences, we have games of significance at Wartburg at Co. There could still be a weird three-way tie. But if Warburg wins, I'm pretty sure that they'll, they'll get the pool A here. Same thing with Lake Forest at Chicago. Huge game for both teams, kind of a rivalry situation. Lake Forest is going to have to kind of manage the score so that they end up eh, – good luck, Coach Cat. <laughs> Sounds too complicated. Mount Union at Baldwin-Wallace, same kind of thing. I think Mount wins. There you go. And then, of course, it always comes down to the wacky – we or Wyac, however you like to say it. Platteville at La Crosse, Stevens Point at Whitewater – now, I'll go to the latter first. Stevens Point's going to be a big underdog to Whitewater. And Whitewater wins. They clinch the Pool A. That's just how it goes. That should probably happen. That's a two o'clock kickoff. But the interesting game, really, will be Platteville at lacrosse because lacrosse needs to win this game to stay in the Pool C conversation. If they lose that game and Platteville wins, I'll chaos ensues so can the uh can the pylos do it again we will have to wait and see but the eagles kind of control their own destiny. but both them and the warhawks control their destiny they win those games they're both in the tournament you could lock it down guaranteed a nine and one Wyac team in lacrosse will get the probably one of the first if not the second pool sees right off the board and you know hey Warhawks win another WIAC championship with a win over Stevens Point, Well, they'll be heavily favored over. I, you know, I think for the most part, you can kind of see how this is going to play out, Frank. I don't think there's a lot of mystery in the air. I, I think Wartburg's a big favorite. I think Mount Union's a big favorite. Lake Forest at Chicago eh, could, could be more interesting. Dartmouth is going to be a, f- a favorite at Plymouth State. Springfield Catholic, I guess, could be a toss-up. Albion Almas, maybe the same thing. Wabash to Paw, that'll be a shootout, but I think St. Joe's should be a favorite. St. John's is probably a favorite in that rematch. Aurora's a favorite. Pomona Pitzer, I mean, either one of these teams, whoever wins is going to go to Linfield and lose in the first round anyway. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it just kind of is how it is. And, and Christopher Newport, Salisbury, I mean, the fact that Salisbury lost to Stevenson should give the captains some hope there, but the Gulls should be expected to win that game and probably by at least a touchdown, if not more, but
0: we'll have to wait and see. Got to correct you on something, though. Wartburg would actually not win the ARC in a three-way tie because they used the Rose Bowl rule. and That's
1: right. That's crazy rule. I forgot about 2019, that. 2019,
0: they went, and so they're the last team to go in this batch because Central went last year. But so, they
1: should they should beat Co by, like, at least a couple of touchdowns. I keep reading about how underrated these guys are and, you know, time to prove it you know let's see
0: but uh the answer is if uh that were to happen uh the three way tie would go to i believe dubuque is the answer to yeah, uh, that's what, yep, uh, who yep, would that advance yep. so and then if yeah. Wartburg is nine and one then you've got another problem inside the bubble essentially for pool c because they might be a deserving pool c team at that point more on wednesday yep. folks we're running late here. Again, condolences to Grinnell and to Ferrum and to their uh, football families and the families of the deceased. Uh, may they rest in peace. We will see you live on Wednesday, live on Friday. We will see you uh, by recording on Sunday evening after the selection show and live on Monday for the ECAC Bowl selection show. A lot of action coming up, but let's all be stay safe out there. Please, let's make this a great Week 11 with... No problems, no concerns here, and stay safe with the hurricane, tropical storm in Florida, JB, and everybody else that might be affected by it. We'll see you soon.